Essay number three, money, marriage, misogyny, and melanin. Perhaps about a year ago, I was in a Facebook group and I was reading a back and forth exchange that I found intriguing. The question for discussion was, would it bother you as a man if your wife made more than you? Part of me cringed at the fact that we still had to have these conversations as late as 2018. Either way, I perused the responses to get a poll for where most people were at, specifically the men. There wasn't a clear consensus. And I was embarrassed for the male species. Come on. What is this, the 1930s? How do you really say, with a straight face, you'd be uncomfortable courting, dating, or marrying a woman that makes more than you? There's so much to unpack there, and we'll touch on some of those themes in just a minute. For now, I'll share a more flushed out version of what I shared on that Facebook uh, discussion, because I certainly chimed in. After all, it's not fair to critique other men's responses if I'm not even willing to share my own. So the question is, Namdi, would it bother you as a man if your girlfriend or your wife made more than you? Now, my thoughts fall into the following two categories. One, at this point, that's not particularly likely. Two, we'd need some intentional discussion, but probably not for the reasons you're thinking. So let's start with observation number one. That's not particularly likely. Please, please, please don't take that the wrong way. But it is true. God willing, depending on how things go following graduation, my pay would probably put me somewhere within the top 5% to 10% of American households. Since women, unfortunately, tend to be underrepresented in higher paying professions anyway, and even when they are, on average, they're still paid less than their male counterparts who do the same work, it is unlikely at this point for my girlfriend or wife to make more than me, unless perhaps if she's substantially older than I am, maybe 10 plus years or so. Beyond that though, I do plan on marrying a woman of the faith. My observation is that quite often, Women in the church tend to gravitate towards uh, helping professions, right? So as a result, there's a disproportionately high number of women in professions like social work, uh, human services, K-12 education, nonprofit, etc. There's a disproportionately lower number of women of the faith in fields like medicine and law and engineering and finance and other opportunities in the private sector that may attract a higher base salary. I'm not saying that's good, bad, or anything else. I'm simply making an existential observation. Now, I want to be very, very clear at the risk of being misinterpreted. I'm not saying women are less capable of performing in these sectors. Indeed, there are a number of women, perhaps especially outside the church, who go into these professions and do quite swimmingly. What I am saying is that women within the church appear to gravitate towards helping professions and these 
sometimes offer lower salaries, even though the work is very important and very fulfilling. The implication is very simple. The pool of women I'd consider as dating prospects, i.e. women in the church, usually don't work in professions where their compensation, controlling for their age, would exceed my own. Now, as a caveat, this may not be as true if I dated women outside the church, but admittedly, I don't really have interest in doing that. Let's talk about observation two. We need some intentional discussion, but probably not for the reasons you're thinking. It's true. So let's start with the hypothetical situation of me courting a woman who makes more than me. Maybe she has a great job in Silicon Valley, or maybe she has a really fruitful uh, business or something else entirely. That's perfectly fine. But we need to understand the way the labor market works. With, <coughs> with rare exceptions, when you have a higher salary or compensation, broadly speaking, your employer has license to expect more of you. It's 100% true. When you pay more for a product or service, don't you expect more? Don't you expect more from a BMW than you do a Kia Optima? Exactly. The labor market works the same way. Usually, when you're paid more, your job expects more of you in return. Now, that may not necessarily translate to the number of hours you're working, but the implication is still the same. They have a higher expectation of you. There's nothing wrong with my wife making more than me, but that would clearly mean she has a job where her employer expects a lot of her. And I'm going to have a job where my employer is going to expect quite a bit of me too. So we need to talk about what that means for us, our relationship, and our potential future family. That's it. Honestly, you should do that exercise with any man or woman you're courting that's in a high-paying profession. The question is, honey bun, exactly what are they expecting of you in return for all that money? I've seen it for myself. When I worked in consulting, my clients were mostly C-suite executives or perhaps one level low senior vice presidents, right? At least in the private sector, those people have meetings and conference calls all day from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. At 7 p.m., they go home, presumably have dinner with their family if they're married, work out if they're the type to do so, and they work for another two to four hours, doing all the work they couldn't do during the day because they had back-to-back -back meetings. They go to sleep sometime between 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. I know because they used to send me emails really late. They wake up in the morning and they do it all over again. In return, they make anywhere from 250K to over a million. But it takes a toll, you know. If my wife makes 250K, I am perfectly fine with that. But we need to talk about what that job means for our relationship and our family. You know, I'm grateful that as a professor, I'm going to have a lot of flexibility. Well, make no mistake about that, I still have a lot of work to do. And flexibility or not, work still has to get done, one way or the other. At least when I was growing up, there was a lot of hype about 
power couples, right? As I've gotten older, I've realized that can be ill-advised in some situations. I've worked 93 hours in a week before. I've been at the office until midnight before. I've had a different flight or a different city every single week before. You wanna take two of those people and put them together in the same relationship? Man, I'm stressed just thinking about it. Some, not all, but some of those power couples don't even see each other regularly. And or a nanny spends more time with their kids than they do because they're never home. Or when they are home, they're still working. I don't think that's what I'm going for. If I'm courting a woman, she makes more than me again, that's totally cool. But we need to talk about the household dynamic we have in mind. How do we plan on being unified and producing a healthy marriage? Not just for us, but for our kids too. That's it. Doesn't have to be a huge thing. I'm not disqualifying anyone because they're going to make more than me. I'm just trying to use wisdom and discretion, as I think we all should. Honestly, as a woman, you should do the same thing. This isn't gender specific. You know, I'm not going to lie, though. At church, we've normalized some unhealthy and toxic masculinity. And it trips me out. I used to let it ride. But I realized a while ago, I was actually part of the problem by not saying anything. I still can't get over some of the responses I read in that discussion on Facebook. You know, if my wife makes more than me, I won't feel needed. Or if my wife makes more than me, I feel like I won't get to take care of her. It does bring up the interesting question of, how exactly did we get here in the first place? I have an answer, and it's two words. Gender roles. It's actually not that complicated. Gender roles. It's pretty simple, in fact. Gender roles. That is the answer to the question. Gender roles. We need to understand as I've stated before, the idea of a working woman is still a very, very new age development, at least as far as global history goes, less than 100 years. Uh, well, we're coming up on 100 years. Now that creates complications. A world-renowned sociologist at Princeton, Viviana Zelizer, has written on the topic. Now she has a paper on what she calls special monies and a book, The Social Meaning of Money, on a related topic. Much of the discussion that follows is based on her work. Thanks, Viv. You know, it wasn't until the late 19th century in America that women started to take the limelight more in the discussion of money. Now, over the subsequent 50 years, the institution of wifehood would begin to change. In the 1880s, Husbands worked, and middle-class wives served as directors of household affairs. Now they tended to the house, supported the children, and deployed 
their husband's salary to finance their work. But wives had no money. Their activities in full were paid for by their husband. Nothing unusual or out of the ordinary there, particularly for the late 1800s. But as disposable income increased and the availability of consumer products, the notion of allowance for wives started to be a more pressing concern. What on earth would women need money for? Does a wife have any entitlement to her husband's money? Is this a private matter or is there any legal precedent if an agreement can't be reached? These were different times. There was no such thing as Miss Independent. Sorry, Neo. In 1914, a man in New York, Charles Montgomery, sued his wife for $600 she saved from household expenses over the course of their marriage. Justice Blackman of the Supreme Court, Brooklyn, ruled in favor of the husband. So to answer the question, yes, there is a legal precedent. No. A wife was not entitled to her husband's money, unless it was given as a gift, according to the judge. Even so, domestic fraud in the early 20th century became rampant. Wives picked their husband's pockets, padded bills to get a little extra cash, and even practiced sexual blackmail. This was serious business, people. Wives were not playing about the money but the men just weren't having it. Misogynistic? I'll let you decide. Sexism is somewhat a product of the times. As the economy evolved and the institution of female monies, so did the disputes. By the 1920s and 1930s, the discussion shifted to doling out money versus offering wives an allowance. Doling out money is probably the equivalent of what parents would do uh, for young children. If the children want, uh, excuse me, if the child wants something, the parent gives them money and they buy it. An allowance, on the other hand, functions the way a parent would probably treat an older child. Parents offer kids an allowance and they spend the money as they please. To be clear, this was a contentious debate and it was highly politicized. Many prominent women's magazines wrote on the issue, and woman after woman would write anonymous letters to the editor, vocalizing all of their fiscal grievances against their husband. Media outlets published surveys uh, so women could see the distribution for women receiving allowances, receiving dole, or getting neither. For many of us, raised in a very different generation, this just seems highly irrational. But it is somewhat rational if we understand the logic. Ultimately, this boils down to control and security. Always has, I think. Let's start with the former, control. The reason men in the early 20th century were against the allowances for wives was because it undermined their control. Whereas previously there was only one adult in the household with regular access to money, now there would be two. The wife would have money of her own. And for the most part, it wasn't a good way to regulate how it was spent. Further, since it was an allowance, 
it wasn't contingent on performance. Even if a husband came home and the house wasn't clean and dinner wasn't ready, the wife still gets her allowance. Although the institution of wifehood and female money have both evolved substantially, male thinking and the conceptualization of manhood hasn't really caught up. To be a husband or a man means to have control, period. In 2019, not only is it entirely possible for a wife to make just as much as her husband, but now it's quite possible for her to make more. For men who see their leadership and control as rooted within their pay or greater professional success, they'll naturally be uncomfortable with that. In fact, by that logic, since their wife makes more, they should have more say in fiscal matters than they do. Gasp. So yes, I do think this is about control, at least in part. Now let's talk about the other element of this, security. For many men, it's absolutely devastating to their male ego to be with a woman that makes more than them. How do I take care of a woman who makes more than me? How can I be Prince Charming or a knight in shining armor when my wife doesn't fiscally need me? I want my wife to be proud of me. How can she be proud of me when I make less than her? Now, in the best case scenario, this is just really silly and a wife reassures her husband to help him be more secure. But that's also assuming you chose to pursue a relationship with a woman who makes more than him to begin with, which is unlikely if he's insecure. In the worst case scenario, however, this can spiral into toxic masculinity. But more on that later. But this talk on special monies is certainly interesting for bringing up an age-old discussion between men and women on control and security in the context of marriage or otherwise. Indeed, the Bible even notes as early as Genesis that there will be strife between man and woman. You can see Genesis chapter 3 starting in verse 14 for context. This isn't coincidental. Okay, let's see. We, uh, we talked about money. We talked about marriage. Uh, we talked about misogyny. What was that last thing? Oh, yeah. You know, every so often, a conversation will come up between some friends on dating preferences. Nothing unusual or out of the ordinary. You know, I remember when I was younger, uh, there was a subtle or not so subtle encouragement to be with a Nigerian or at least an African woman. That's pretty normative, uh, all things considered. Normative, whatever. Um, I'm an immigrant to a foreign country and my family is proud of their heritage and culture. It's not unusual for there to be a subtle or not so subtle encouragement to be with a Nigerian or African woman. The only issue with that is I'm stubborn. Probably has to do with me being the youngest. Uh, I was interested in being a physician until I realized how many people expected me to be a physician because my dad, my brother, and my sister are. Now, after I realized that, I lost virtually all interest in being a physician. I don't like doing things because people 
expect me to. I'm not here for it. Call me a brat. It's whatever, really. Um, because I'm the youngest, I feel like it can be hard to just be sometimes. It's almost like there's a subtle or not so subtle expectation from people for you to follow the path of those who came before you. Perhaps that's especially true in Nigerian culture where there's a strong emphasis on elders, seniority, hierarchy, um, etc. Uh, so no, I won't be a physician. Similarly, when I was growing up, the more I felt pressured to marry a Nigerian or African woman, um, the less interested I was in doing so. Again, I just wanted to be my own person. So the rebel immediately came out. But something happened. As I got to college and graduated and started working, I started, uh, I started meeting a lot of Nigerian and African women. And these women are absolutely gorgeous. They were back then and they still are now. I'm talking about like supermodel, gorgeous. And they ain't just cute. They love God. They're absolutely brilliant. They have good credit. Dang. Uh, so yeah, I know I was talking reckless when I was younger, but throw all that trash out the window. I'm down with marrying a Nigerian or African woman as long as her family isn't crazy, which happens sometimes. I'm not with that. Not about to sit here and tell you I'm only interested in black women, though, uh, because that's not true. In fact, after a six-year hiatus from the dating market, the last woman I took interest in was Hispanic, Mexican to be specific. Um, and throughout college, all the girls I, would, I was crushing on were Asian. So I would say I'm pretty open-minded uh, about who I get to know and date within certain reason. I could make this a much, much longer conversation, but I'll try and boil it down to a single statement and expound on that. Whoever she is, she needs to be down with the brown. For a number of reasons, a lot of America is really uncomfortable or unsettled by blackness. I get it. I think the unfamiliar is always a bit uncomfortable, but I also think that is disproportionately true in the case of blackness. So I hope she's down with the brown, because I'm not getting any lighter, after all. I think people of color in this country, perhaps especially black people, have faced much adversity. If you grew up in a middle class or upper class, mostly white suburb, I'm completely fine with that. And you should be unapologetic about it. But I also think you, you uh, I would also like you to understand the plight of people who are different from you, perhaps especially black people, because I'm black got to be down with the brown. And it can't be because you're dating or married to a black dude. It can't be because your man has a PhD and he's often right on these things. It needs to be because you have that conviction for yourself. You're a grown behind woman. You need your own opinion on America and the state of race relations uh, for people of color in this country. You got to be down with the brown. If I do get married, given the household income, we'd probably qualify as America's upper class. 
whatever the heck that means. Uh, but I think Christ calls for us to be empathetic and compassionate, particularly concerning people who have less, even though their problems are very far from ours. There are all kinds of poor people in America and around the world, but in America, at least, those in deep poverty are disproportionately black and brown. No surprise there. You gotta be down with the brown. You don't need to be Nigerian. You don't need to be African. You don't need to be black. But I do think you need to be down with the brown. If not, I'll be honest. I don't think this is going to work very well. To borrow a line from Charles Barkley, I may be wrong, but I doubt it. Feel free to weigh in. Just some random thoughts. Essay number three, money, marriage, misogyny, and melanin.